Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with TBI survivor Deb Brandon. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online, mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And also be sure to check out our second annual Brain Health Online Summit that will be happening during the month of March in conjunction with Brain Injury Awareness Day. And you can get registered at thebrainhealthonlinesummit.com. Today, my guest is Deb Brandon. And Deb was born in England, raised in Israel, Switzerland, and England, and now lives in the United States. She's a math professor at Carnegie Mellon University and has participated nationally and internationally in dragon boating. She's a mother, a writer, and a respected textile artist, and she is also a brain injury survivor. Her journey towards reclaiming her life began with three brain surgeries in as many weeks, two carefully planned, and the third was a terrifying surprise. Her essays have appeared in several publications, including Weave and Real Peace and Dragon Boat World International, Hand Eye Magazine, Logan Magazine, and SIAM Journal of Mathematical Analysis and Journal of Integral Equations and Applications. As a speaker, she presents programs about brain injury, both her own and the wider scope of brain injury. She's an active blogger and participates in social media platforms, including Facebook, discussing brain injury and his impact on new material through her own Facebook page and by contributing to other sites and posts. So welcome to the podcast, Deb. I'm very excited to have you here today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm pretty excited, too. Great. Well, I would love to have you start by sharing with our listeners your story. I'm very intrigued about three brain in- brain surgeries in three weeks. That does not sound like a lot of fun. Um, so I would love to have you share that journey with us to start. Um, sure. More than, uh, let's see, more than 10 years ago, I had uh, several brain bleeds. Uh, from cavernous angiomas. Those are uh, clusters of malformed blood vessels in my brain, and two of them bled. 
um, which they turned my life upside down, not surprising. And uh, several months later, I underwent uh, brain surgery or surgeries to prevent further bleeds. That's the only known treatment for cavernous angioma. There's absolutely no other option. I'm considered one of the lucky ones because mine were operable. Um, I, the first two surgeries were planned to remove the two angiomas that had bled. And a week to uh, inpatient rehab, I suffered uh, grand mal seizure, and it turned out that I had a CSF leak, that cerebral spinal fluid leak from the site of one of the surgeries. So the emergency surgery was to uh, patch up that leak. Uh, needless to say, the surgeries um, turned my life upside down yet again with additional um, deficits. And since then, I've been recovering. And so, like you said, the first two were planned. Um, and, you know, I just, I can't imagine, you know, my, my accident happened in the blink of an eye. Um, I fell on the ice. I had no warning. I didn't even know, you know, that there was black ice lurking. Um, and to go into something the way that you did, knowing what you're going into, what, what was that like to know? I mean, did they even tell you that there was a chance you would have these brain injury symptoms afterwards? Did they even discuss that with you? I know you said this was 10 years ago. Um, I, when I, I met the surgeon before the surgeries and I asked him, what are the risks? And he said, well, you're talking about your brain. So it could be anything from death to, oh, I don't even remember to the two. I think my mind blanked at that point. <laughs> you heard death and that was it. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I was terrified. But uh, the bloody brain, as I refer to it, was... Uh, came to my rescue and it numbed that uh, memory. I mean, my memory was was uh, already pretty bad. And uh, so the raw terror died down. Um, every so often I was reminded of it. But as we often do when, you know, fear threatens to mess you up, um, humor comes to the rescue. And shortly afterwards, I came up with a list of things you don't want to hear your neurosurgeon say, you know, like, oops, or it looked easy on Gray's Anatomy, that kind of thing. So I had a whole list. So other than the times when I was terrified, I was, I was pretty distracted and dealing with the fear. So hard you know it's hard to you, you can't you can't be terrified the whole time and right before the surgeries I remember walking into the hospital going dead man walking dead man walking so the morbid humor was there constantly or much of the time uh, I you know 
I don't really remember the terror, but it was there, no question. But the 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 risk of death that at some point I I lost that connection, and and through the brain injury I lost several connections, and I didn't really believe it. I was very much in denial, and throughout the thing people would say things like, oh, I'm so glad you're alive. And I'd go, what, they thought I'd die? In my mind, that wasn't going to happen. So there was a lot of weirdnesses that the bloody brain really helped, shall we say. (laughs) So, Deb, you're currently a professor and a math professor at that. Um, So tell me, you know, did this... Did the the surgery did it did it inhibit your ability in the beginning at all? Is that something you had to relearn, or were you fortunate in that it didn't um, that it didn't affect your math skills and teaching skills? Well, it it did affect it very much. Uh, in particular, I um, I had issues with sequential thinking, which is something you really need in math. Also, um, with Part of the effect was that I had trouble with uh, uh, attention span. It was that of a gnat and uh, short-term memory. And I'd forgotten a lot of things. I had to relearn the multiplication tables. Um, I still have trouble with a couple of them, uh, four times eight. Is it four times eight? Yes, I have to (laughs) think about it. I, you know, it doesn't, you know, come off at the top of my head. You know, I have to think, well, is it 36? Is it 30? And I know that it's somewhere in between and I, I really have to think about it. And if it's a bad brain day, I can't come up with it, period. So I had to relearn the multiplication tables, uh, things like a, a bit of arithmetic. And then I worked through a college algebra book going example by example most of the time it was at first it was uh it was uh I had to give myself nudges to my memory and then more and more I didn't and then I worked my way through the calculus book that we used and at some point I reached the point where I'm going okay I can do this I'm as ready as I'm going to be I knew that there was a chance I wouldn't be able to teach and my daughter, who was 13 years old at the time, asked me for help in her algebra homework. And uh, the first problem, oh, yeah, I can do this. Second problem, yep, this is going well. I should be fine. Third problem, I looked at it and I went, uh-uh. It just wasn't there. I couldn't do it. So that's when I knew I would have trouble. And it was scary. I felt that I needed to think of an alternate career. Um, but I still continued with the, you know, preparing myself just in case that maybe, maybe I'll, I'll still be able to get back into the classroom. And isn't that like, I mean, I remember, so I, I was a photographer for 20 years um, and I didn't know how to use my camera. Like I would look at the mm-hmm. settings and like I was blowing out an image. And so I needed, I knew I needed less light in my image, but I'm like, 
what do I need to change? What's, what's wrong? Why is this not turning out right? And I mean, I would eventually figure it out, but it would take me a long time to get there. Right. And it was so terrifying because this is something I have done my entire life. I've had a camera in my hands since I was five and to not know what to do. And I was like in the middle of shooting an event. And that was the first time that like it, that it like shown its face at me that I couldn't do this. And I just remember being just like my heart rate started going up and I was all sweaty and I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And it didn't even occur to me in the moment to even put my camera on automatic because as a professional photographer, I never use the automatic setting. So it never even occurred mm-hmm. to me to do that to like, just try to save my butt getting through this event. And I can imagine, you know, for you doing math was like second nature and to now not even know how to help your daughter with her algebra. I mean, it's just gotta be so surreal and, and frustrating clearly. Um, and it, so it has come back. Is that what you're saying that you have gotten most of that back? Yes, I have, but uh, uh, to a degree when I'm tired, my mind yeah. will just go blank on me. Um, so I have to be careful to pace myself to make sure I have a good night's sleep before I teach that kind of thing. I stick with the, uh, I teach mostly calculus for humanities students. So that level, I'm fine. I mean, and originally I wanted to, originally I asked to teach that because that was the lowest level course that we te- that we teach. And I wasn't, I was filled with self-doubt and I was afraid to go at a higher level. And at one point I did and my mind would go blank. There was nothing there. I remember once I gave a review session, and at the end of the review session, so this is in the evening when I'm completely, I mean, utterly exhausted, and somebody asked me a question, and my mind was completely blank, and I said, I'm sorry, I just fell through a hole in my brain. Um, (laughs) I love that. But um, I went back to teaching Calculus for Humanities because I loved it. I loved the students and I loved the challenge because there's so many different ways of thinking, which I was exposed to through the bloody brain because uh, with the sequential thinking being a problem, I had to, my brain had to rewire to work around that. So I became proficient in more than one way of of thinking and it helped me teach these students who aren't predominantly linear thinkers. And as I teach, I also learn more ways of explaining things and they teach me how to approach things in different ways. And the challenge is wonderful uh, I don't blank out. Uh, no, I haven't blanked out. That's not true, actually. During review sessions, again, at the end of the review, I will. they'll ask me questions, and I'll just look at them completely blankly. But then I can, I'm operating on fumes, but then I can sort of draw it out somehow. Um, and also, 
in time with the healing, I became better at operating on fumes. But, uh, yeah, there's still issues. Yeah. You know, and talking about when you're tired and fatigued, that's, that's when things become more challenging. And, and I know that's been my experience. And I, I've also found like, if I'm put on the, like, if I'm like on the spot or winging it, so to speak, like mm-hmm. when I first fell, I was doing a lot of speaking. Um, I was teaching other photographers and I just remember not being able to come up with technical words. Like I like someone asked me a question mm-hmm. and I would start to tell mm-hmm. the answer. Like I knew the answer, but I couldn't come up with the words. And I was just like, yeah. I, you know, and, and I always prefaced my talks with the fact that I had had a brain injury. Like I wasn't at all afraid to talk about the fact that I had a brain injury. And I would look at the person in the front row and be like, what's the word I'm looking for? And they would mm-hmm. help me. And I kind of turned it into like, you know, I just kind of made fun with it. But it was just like, oh, my God, what is the word? Um, yeah. And, you know, for you, it's, that sounds like that's sort of similar. And, and having to learn how to pace yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, I had a really busy week. We had the Super Bowl here. And so I was attending a lot of events. That, le- that were leading up to the Super Bowl talking about brain health. And I, I put way more hours into being around people and socializing and talking and having to be up really early. And I'm still recovering from that two weeks later. Like mm-hmm. I can still feel the fatigue in the morning. Like it's a lot harder to get out of bed. And I think that's the biggest thing people just really can't comprehend about brain injury is the fatigue and just, that neuro fatigue and when we've hit our wall we've hit our wall and would you say that that that's been your experience as well oh god very much so um recovering from anything and i found it if i do more than one thing a day i'm just done for i'm exhausted even if it's grocery shopping or grocery shopping is exhausting Um, but, uh, yeah, um, even just leaving the house sometimes is exhausting, but if I've done something that you said, um, when you're at a meeting and there's a lot going on, I end up with, uh, there's the fatigue, horrendous headaches. Um, I pay the price. There's absolutely no way I will not pay the price and I'm well aware of it. And I still do stuff. I travel. Um, I just, I, I feel like I'm not going to give in to the bloody brain. I can't not live. Uh, so I continue. One thing that a friend of mine said who has a daughter with a brain injury, this was at a book event. She said, what a lot of people don't understand is it may seem that we're functioning fine, but at times we're operating on fumes and people don't see the effect, the punishment yeah. afterwards. And that's so true. I mean, this is back to invisible disability type issues. It, you know, when she said that, there was this light bulb went off. And I'm going, yeah, 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 that's it. And the weird thing was that I didn't put two and two together. At least I didn't verbalize it to myself until she mentioned that. But, you know, you continue despite the exhaustion. And you you try to rest and, and whatnot. But when my brain has had it, 
if I don't rest, it lashes out at me with horrendous headaches and exacerbated uh, neurological deficits. I mean, my balance goes, I get vertigo. Accessing words is just gone, you know, and I'll start stuttering, sometimes slurring my speech. Um, it's, it's just part of life now. So one of my first pieces that I wrote, um, I, I wrote my very first piece at my one year mark, um, kind of a, as a F you to my friends who all drifted away because, you know, in your case, it might've been a little bit different because you had this planned surgery and there was definitely something wrong where in my case, you know, I just fell on the ice. Oh my God, get over it. Right. And I wrote what you were just talking about sparked me to pick up my book. Um, Cause this is something that I wrote in my book. People make assumptions that I must be fine because mine is an invisible injury. They see me constantly working my butt off, trying to continue making a living. What they don't see is my pain and exhaustion at the end of the day, the consecutive days spent in bed because I physically don't have strength to do anything. The ice packs, ibuprofen and hot baths with Epsom salts the rescheduled sessions and missed hours of work, the massages, physical therapy, and PTSD therapy sessions, and the 70-some doctor visits in 10 months. They also don't see the uncertainty of whether I'll be able to continue working, which is a much more physically and mentally challenging career than people realize. So, you know, it is. It's like we look fine, and Mm -hmm. we... We choose to do something, whether it's going grocery shopping or teaching or working, you know, like in my case, photographing an event. They see us doing that. Oh, that she must be fine. She must be recovered. And it's like, no, <laughs> I wish you could see me when I get home and like the zombie like stance trance that I'm in, um, you know, and, and, and so going back to what I said, did, did, did you find like, did friends drift away or are they a little more understanding in your case? Because there was a situation you, you had brain surgery three times. I mean, were they a little more compassionate for you? Um, to a degree there are people who just don't know what to say. So those are the ones who drift away, but mostly uh, I was with people um, who were compassionate until a certain point, and then it was, you should be over this. You should. You're malingering. You're you're taking advantage of this, yes. and it's it's rough dealing with that. And you say, well, you know, they'll ask you, oh, you seem to be doing well. I and I go, well, and you can see that look in their eyes. They're sort of the glazes over. They gla- their eyes glaze over and they find an excuse to, you know, to get out of there. So there's yeah. always those who doubt you and you're filled with self-doubt anyway. And you start thinking, well, am I not trying hard enough? Is, you know, should I push through the headache? This kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's not easy. No. And I have a friend, she had brain surgery. She had a brain tumor removed and she was only a couple weeks or maybe a month out from it. And her sister had just had a baby and had a C-section. And her sister was like, I need your help. Can you do this and this and this and this and this? And my friend was like, no, I can't. And she's like, oh, my God, your surgery was like a month ago. And it's like, 
It was brain surgery. They took a tumor out of my brain. Like, I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, people really, unless you, and, and I get it, unless you've been through it, it does seem like far-fetched that we'd be so exhausted from doing one thing. I get it. Um, and I think that's, you know, why I'm so passionate and probably why you're so passionate about, about spreading awareness and, and talking about our experiences, because that's the only way people can really get that glimpse inside of what's happening inside our heads, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting dealing with, with, people and you 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 kind of I mean I had issues that I at one point I wanted to see my scars um you know I needed that validation and I you can't really get it so I actually shaved my head and had a friend uh take photos of it and at that point this was a year no this was three years past the past the surgeries so at that point not that they'd faded but the but yeah they'd faded actually so I didn't I did but didn't quite get what I needed but since then it's not as big a deal except recently somebody asked me about actually I don't remember what they asked me but it was something about the scars and I immediately started um touching one of them and that's when I'm going oh I'm not past that completely so there's that so even for me there's need for validation but the thing that really struck me with a lot of brain injury survivors that they're not fully aware they don't put two and two together with um, you know a symptom and the fact that it's from the brain injury that it's a legitimate symptom and when I wrote my book it was partly also to give these give these symptoms a, a name so that you know, to verbalize them so that people go, oh yeah, I have that too. I mean, for instance, uh, issues with sensory overload. I get so much from so many survivor uh, survivors. It's oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a name for that. And that to me is really, you know, that's when I go, yeah, 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 I wrote this for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, at the one point, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wrote it was to, was to help other brain injury survivors because I knew, yeah, I knew that um, people, you know, the survivors themselves just don't get it in many ways. Um, I also wrote it for large to say, look, this is a major issue. Um, so it is a major issue dealing dealing with people who don't quite get it, who look at you, give you that funny look as in, come on, get over it. Right. Get over it. <laughs> and so your book is called, but my brain had other ideas. Um, so maybe give us a little short synopsis of what, what readers would learn in your book. Um, so the idea was to tell to spread aware. Well, part of the reason to spe- spread awareness through my story, 
one thing I found when I was trying to understand what was going on, I looked for, but there's not much, if anything, out there about living with brain injury. There's a lot about um, the crisis, about acute recovery, but there's very little about adjusting your life to it and figuring out what things are. And I want the takeaway message to be almost an aha thing. And it doesn't just, the, the issues I've dealt with, and I'm sure that, well, I know that you have too, it's not just about brain injury. Anyone who's been through a life-threatening disease or a life-threatening yeah. experience have these issues or similar issues. And I again, I've had people who have said things like, you know, I had this when I was 12 years old, and now, now I see myself in what you're, what you're describing. So I want people, the public at large, and people to see that these are issues and that it could happen to anyone. And to be more empathetic, to be, to get it. You know, so so I, as I said, through my story, I wanted maybe a lot, but I'm getting that, I'm getting the feedback that it's doing what I wanted it to do. Yeah, and, you know, was it also therapeutic for you to write? I know that for me, that, that's how I started writing. Is It was a form of therapy for me, and then it ended up turning into so much more. Um, but, you know, I encourage any survivor, because I get asked all the time, how do you write a book? How do you start writing a blog? How do you write your story? And I always tell people, just start writing. Even if it's like two sentences a day, just start writing. And eventually it'll all come together, you know, like if you've never written before, maybe you don't have the attention span to write for more than five minutes. Um, you know, just, just get it down on paper and don't worry about it being grammatically correct or anything because people can help you with that later. Just get it out, get it on paper. Yes, it was therapeutic. No question about that. Um, I also felt really lost and I wanted this guide that didn't seem to exist. And so somehow I thought that if I write and continue bumbling along, writing about it will help me follow my nose because I'll see where I was and where I am now. Um, now, okay, I forgot what you just said. <laughs> about, oh, about writing. About writing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd never written before except, you know, essays in school. And to me, it was, I just wrote, it was more a keeping track of things. It was like a journal. And then, as right. you said, it got bigger. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to learn how to write properly. And because of the bloody brain, I couldn't, um, I couldn't, uh, okay, lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. I I couldn't attend workshops and things like that. So I ended up with a writing coach. And 
so that was to improve on my writing in order to reach a broader audience. But as you said, you just sit down and write. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there is the attention span, span issue. I can't, there, there are times when I can only <clears throat> write for five minutes, ten minutes, um, ranging from that to four hours is my absolute maximum. Four hours is great, but that happens really rarely. Uh, usually when I'm on a roll, it's one hour. Mm-hmm. But there are times when it's just five minutes. I mean, literally five minutes. Yeah. No more. Yeah, I would agree. That's four hours. I'm like, holy cow, that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's happened three times. <laughs> you know, though, sometimes you do. You totally get in a zone and it just feels good. So, yeah, I totally can understand. Well, Deb, we are just about out of time. And I just, I so appreciate you being here. Thank you so so much for sharing your story. This has been wonderful. And if anyone is interested in your book, again, it's called But My Brain Had Other Ideas by Deb Brandon. Um, I do have the link in my show notes. So anyone can definitely go check that out and click through to your book. And I just thank you again for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, thank you very much. It's been fun and interesting, too. (laughs) well thank you Deb and thank you everyone for listening I really hope that you enjoyed today's show with Deb Brandon and again um, her book but my brain had other ideas I have the link in the show notes so definitely you can feel free to click through to find her book on Amazon and just a reminder um, you can always find previous podcasts at facesoftbi.com and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amy Zelmer. And another big thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I'll see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.